when you fly into San Kuang, you can see the evidence of the bomb craters just everywhere as you fly in. And it's just overwhelming, I guess, to see to see that. It was the early 1980s when Linda was on assignment in Laos with Mennonite Central Committee, also known as the MCC, a small relief development and peace building agency. At the time, Laos had limited and difficult relationships with the West, making Linda one of the first Americans in Laos after the American Secret War to assist with humanitarian aid and post-war recovery. In this Dipkow talk by Legacies of War, Linda is sharing her story as she helps us retrace her steps to the first time when she arrived in Laos. Central Committee is an aid um, and development organization, a humanitarian um, organization uh, organized by Mennonite churches in the U.S. and Canada. In Laos, yeah, initially a lot of our assistance, as well as then we, we also tried to do some development assistance as well. Back in the early 80s, I mean, this was only about five years after the war had ended. And so things were things were fairly restricted in terms of especially what Western agencies could could do. According to our letters, I think we were supposed to arrive March 5, but then there was something wrong with our visa and we had to reapply. That was a time when having Western people come to Laos, it was very restricted. And so you couldn't just get a visa at the airport. I mean, you actually had to go through an application process. And MCC, as, a, as an aid organization, had permission. One of the things we became aware of, and this preceded our time there, I mean, MCC had other personnel in Laos from, from 1975 on. So we had become aware, or the agency knew of the problem of unexploded ordnance, and so there was some effort already to see if there are ways that we could help deal with that problem. In those early days, there really wasn't a good program for dealing with unexploded ordnance. Um, I think the military, I mean, they have the training for dealing with those kinds of things. And so there were some areas that had been cleared, but the vast majority of fields and, and uh you know, the areas that had been bombed, especially in Sinkwang or in southern Laos, there really was no, there was no program and, and even people didn't quite know how to go about it. And we didn't either. <laughs> but one of the ideas uh, initially later on, agencies and people became aware of the problem with mines. You know, there were NGOs um, that developed to deal with that problem. But back, back in the early 80s, that, was, that didn't exist. It was March 14, 1980, when Linda Gaiman Peachy arrived in Beijing, Laos. From there, Linda was tasked with taking a trip to Sienkwang province, 
along with her MCC colleagues and predecessors, where many accounts of the bombings were recorded and where the Plain of Jars is. This is where she encountered villagers finding creative ways to deal with the bombies on their land. A Lao official from Xinguang province showed up at our, at our office one morning and was ready to go. And so he arranged. And so actually then the couple, um, the previous MCC couple and I uh, traveled to Xinguang province um, in April. So we had arrived the middle of March, and then this was toward the end of April. Now, Titus would have gone along too, but there was another trip that was planned for Atipa province. And so he went with a UNHCR representative on that trip, and I went to Xinguang. At that point, we knew a little bit of Lao. We didn't know a lot. So I remember wishing I knew <laughs> a lot more, but, um, you know, we, we learned as we went. And um, fortunately, I think our predecessors, you know, they knew more than we did. And also I think um, the husband understood some French. And so, you know, there was communication. So one of the ideas was to, we had a tractor <laughs> and that it was fitted with a shield in the front. And like with a, oh, I don't even know how to describe it, but it had, yeah, extra metal put on um, to protect the driver. And then there was a flail at the in the front. The flail had a shield around it. <laughs> and the idea was that this flail, this chain flail could detonate the bombies and the, the shielding around could protect the driver. <laughs> um, and so MCC had purchased this tractor. And in 1980, uh, it actually was taken to Xinguang province. But I think there were some problems with it. And I think people weren't sure that it had enough protective metal to protect the driver. And there was also fear that it might detonate bigger bombs than just the small anti-personnel bombs. So one of the tasks was was to try out this tractor and sort of see if we could get it working. That proved pretty disappointing. Um, they actually collected some bombies and moved them so the tractor could run, you know, have the flail um, go over them, which is just crazy. I mean, it's so dangerous to do that, but people were used to living with these and needing to move them out of their fields anyway. I remember there were four that they moved and then this this flail, you know, tried to uh, detonate them and they just did not detonate. And then one of the one of the provincial officials actually picked up one of these bombies and threw it. I mean, we were just shocked and it actually exploded. <laughs> and then finally, the, the flail actually worked on one of them as well. But it became clear that this was not going to, this would not be a solution. I'm still processing the fact that someone <laughs> threw the bomb and that goes, oh, I know. right, that there was no mind risk education. Like there was none. No, no. no. Knew what to do with them. <laughs> And they're just throwing them or moving them. I know, right? That baffles me. Fortunately, there was no one hurt when he threw that bombie. 
because it was thrown pretty far away from the group. Although it was still a very dangerous thing to do, this goes to show the lack of education when it came to what the bombies actually were and the destruction that they can actually cause. It also proved that the bombi was still alive and active even after being hit with the chain flail on the tractor. It would take many, many years before there was a solution developed to remove the bombs safely. I thought, well, maybe it should just be used to plow the fields because it is much safer to use a, a plow that sort of gently goes through the field than, I mean, what the Lao had been used to. I mean, and they were used to using buffalo that way. But one of the problems was so many of the buffalo had been killed. I mean, that was one of the long-term effects of the war. Um, and they actually pleaded with us in that meeting to actually help buy some buffalo to send to Sien um, Kwong to help replace, you know, all, all of the buffalo that had been killed during the war. And I think one of the other things we learned about that, I mean, you, you don't think about the ramifications of all of that, but the buffalo often provided manure and fertilizer for the rice fields. And again, that was all missing as well um, because the buffalo had been been um, been killed off. The tractor, um, I thought, yeah, could be just used for plowing. They did, one of the f officials thought, well, maybe rather than using this chain flail, they could come up with some system with a weight that would actually come down on the the um, the bombies more like a hoe does. <laughs> and that, yeah, I was, I think I was going to say especially in gardens and so on, the Lao would use a big hoe, I mean, a heavy hoe to help break up the earth and, and get it ready for planting. But that was very dangerous because if you hit a bombi, um, then it was more likely to explode. Yeah, it became clear we needed other solutions. I think a lot of us didn't really know what we were getting into. I mean, again, there was just little information, you know, because the U.S. government hadn't provided a lot of information. I mean, I think eventually our predecessors tried to do a lot of more research about some about how some of these things work. But again, none of us had the expertise for dealing with this kind of weaponry. Well, maybe one other thing I think I didn't really mention is sort of the experimental stage that we were in back in that time. I could just say more about that. Like, one thing we did try also, along with the Quakers, was to import shovels so that people could use shovels instead of hoes. Um, and we tried to use make that into an educational kind of tool here in the U.S., you know, encouraging people to buy a shovel and maybe think about <laughs> withholding money from their their tax payment or, or, you know, understanding that link between our tax dollars and how they're used for, for war. And then there were other ty types of experimentation too that Titus worked with uh, a Lao official where you know they were starting to do some of the early demining kinds of things where using electric generators and dynamite and so on to try to detonate. Uh, but again, you know, that didn't become large scale until until 94. 
While also serving as the co-director in Laos for the MCC, Linda also had another responsibility, being a mother. Linda gave birth to her eldest daughter while she was in Southeast Asia. This would mean that she'd also have to raise a family while also conducting her duties. Linda shared a little bit more about what that experience was like and what it meant to raise a family during this time. Well, our oldest daughter was born in 83. So it was like two years after we first arrived. Yeah, almost two years later. So in those early years, we didn't have, <laughs> we didn't have um, any children. It was special to have her there. I mean, you, you experience, I mean, children help you see the world and help you enter into life in a different way. Um, so, yeah, and, and it meant, too, once we had Beth, uh, she didn't travel with us on our trips, so we had to take turns. I mean, we often did anyway, would take turns in, in our travels, although there were times when we also traveled together. Yeah, I think, yeah, the motivation, one wants a peaceful world for your children, but I think, I think probably that motivation came maybe more with from our experience with with Lao people you don't want your children to experience anything like um like what the Lao experienced the unforgettable memories that linda shared centered around her experiences with meeting and working directly with the people who are impacted by the bombies still left in the ground. This is a story that Linda shared about a meeting she had with a family who just faced a terrible tragedy. There would be a lot of things that I will never forget. Soon after we arrived, there was a woman who was killed. The woman had 11 children. Her youngest was just a toddler, probably less than a year old. They showed us where she had been hoeing, she had been preparing um, to plant a little garden and um, and hit a bomby. Actually, uh, it broke her hoe, the bomby, and the way they described it was that the piece of the hoe that broke off hit her in the chest, and that's actually what killed her. It's an experience one never forgets, and yeah, to see this family dealing now with having lost a mother and the the father needing to raise all these children. And yeah, and so the father then also gave us the broken hoe head. So we still have that and we've used it, gave many presentations about the situation in Laos and still have used that hoe head. And he uh, pleaded with us to please tell their story so that this doesn't happen again. The, the uh, governor of the province also, you know, pleaded with us to tell their story. So those, yeah, I think that's where, yeah, the, the lifetime of commitment, I guess, to, to honor that experience. And, and the fact that, you know, these bombies came from the U.S. They didn't just appear <laughs> out of the blue. They came, they were deliberately made, deliberately uh, placed, you know, in, in, in Laos. And so, yeah, we clearly felt a responsibility. 
that's a really somber memory. But then there were also lots of joyful memories. I mean, some of the people that we worked with, you know, we would travel together sometimes two or three weeks at a time because travel was very, very rugged. Um, And you really get to know people and enjoy (laughs) singing songs together, eating together, sleeping in the same kind of quarters. Yeah, just experiencing life. And uh, so those are those are wonderful memories. Thank you for tuning in to ThipCow Talk, brought to you by our innovator sponsors, Minds Advisory Group and Article 22. Please continue to listen and follow us exclusively on Spotify and our Anchor page. In this program, we hope to amplify the voices that tell the stories that we want to preserve for future generations to come. The theme music used in this podcast is by the Lao Jazanova Band from Vientiane Laos, and the illustrations are created by our very own Anna Poma Chantan. To learn more about Legacies of War, please visit us on our website at www.legaciesofwar.org or on our social channels at Legacies of War. And please share on all platforms with your friends, your loved ones, and your communities. Thank you for joining our Sticky Rice Squad for Thipcall Talk.